Welcome to the Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm, a weekly podcast that brings biblical teaching to everyday people in ways we can understand and put into practice. I'm your host, Gwen DeSelm, and I'm so glad that you've joined me today. Our teacher is Dave DeSelm. Dave spent over 40 years in pastoral ministry, planting, growing, and leading a church. Currently, he is the executive director of Dave DeSelm Ministries, offering resources for everyday pastors and the people they lead, such as a blog, devotionals, coaching, speaking, and more. You can find out more about us at davedeselmministries.org. Many of us carry deep wounds. They may have been inflicted months or even years ago. And maybe when you think about that person who hurt you, it's as fresh as if it happened this morning. The pain is still there, and you're still filled with bitterness and resentment. You may ask, why should I forgive that person? You have no idea how much they hurt me. Well, friends, Jesus knows. And in the parable we're going to look at today, he gives some really good reasons why we should forgive and do it today. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew and chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Through the summer, we've been studying the stories that Jesus told. These stories are called parables. And they're stories that basically give principles that really we need to understand as it relates to living for the kingdom. Many of the parables are about this thing that was so heavy on Jesus' mind, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. How do you enter into it? How do you live in light of it? And how do you partner with the Spirit in extending it? The kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. This was a key focus of Jesus' ministry. He recognized full well that what we're called to as Christians isn't something then and there, but here and now. And the key to your fulfillment as a human being is that you begin to understand that you have been saved for something bigger than yourself and certainly sooner than heaven. You can be a kingdom player. And that's a thrill. That's what makes life abundant and worth living. The challenge for me isn't the kingdom. The challenge for me is that I have to deal with others in it. I've often said to people, ministry would be a breeze if it wasn't for the people. Can any of you appreciate this? I do so well on my own. I just, me and Jesus, we're just going to move along. And somehow he lets me know, Dave, you've missed the whole thing. So once more, I have to come to grips with the idea there are people in the midst of it all. I appreciate the title of a book that was published some months or years back, I guess now it's been, Don't Let the Jerks Get the Best of You. Great book, till I realized that I was one of the jerks. And as such, I have to come to grips with relational integrity, because mark it well, you're going to break down with people. In your home, some of you are seated right next to a person right now, a mate, a child, a parent, and you're broken down. Someone on the job, someone in your office, someone at your school, someone in your neighborhood, someone in this church. And you're going to decide what you're going to do. You're going to decide if you're going to handle this thing in a godly way, or if you're going to handle it, or if you're going to choose to settle the score in an ungodly way. There are all kinds of ways we opt to settle the score, especially as Christians. We do the subtle stuff. We'd never think about going out and slashing somebody's tires. We'd never think about firebombing their home. 
But we've got all kinds of ways. Let me give you three real quick. Many of us will opt, especially in marriages, this is big, silence. Silence. In, what, in this, what we seek to do is to, uh, we get wounded, we feel mistreated, and so we decide we're simply going to put up the walls and shut down the words. Now, we defend ourselves this way. I just need some time to process the hurt. No, we're trying to punish. Because we know if we freeze them out, if we shut them out, if we go quiet, they'll pay. They'll know we're not a happy camper. And you don't want to do that anymore or else I'll keep treating you like this. We settle the score. Or we choose to settle the score with distance. Another word would be withdrawal. When the person comes your way, you walk the other way. If you hear they're going to be present at an event, you make sure that you're absent. You choose simply to be one who withdraws from that. Ostensibly, it's so that they don't hurt you anymore. But you know why you're doing it. You want to punish them. You want to make them pay. Finally, call the last one sabotage. There's an old Chinese proverb that says, If thine enemy wrong thee, buy each of his children a drum. <laughs> You've got to think about that one. If thine enemy offend thee, buy each of his children a drum. The point being, you look for little ways to get back. You're going to settle the score. Crazy thing is, we can settle it through gossip and slander and backbiting. Here's one that Christians often use. Have you ever heard of creative prayer requests? We need to really pray for so-and-so because they've been so hurtful. Then we go ahead and list a litany of all their offenses, and what we're really choosing to do is to make them pay. And by making them look bad, we, of course, look good, and we're going to settle the score. Jesus knew that taking revenge, foregoing forgiveness, is always, always a losing proposition. Mark it well, friends. Every time you throw mud, the kingdom loses ground. It just does. So that's why Jesus talked about this so much in his ministry. Here in the 18th chapter of Matthew, it's really worth about a dozen sermons that could come out of this thing here. For example, let me show you one verse that we're not going to talk about today, but it's really one that you ought to focus on sometime, perhaps this week. The 15th, Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, tell your small group. If your brother sins against you, Call an elder. If your brother sins against you, email the pastor. If your brother sins against you, what's it say to do? You go to seek reconciliation. It may not work, but the initiative is to be yours. You go to them first. And we could talk a lot about the attitude with which you go and all that kind of stuff, but that's the kind of stuff that comes out of this 18th chapter. What I want to show you now is down a little bit later. I want to show you that that which comes out of verse 21 and following. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, every time you see something in the Bible, it always comes out of context. And I have to wonder what had happened. Had he just had a fight with his wife? Had he just broken down with one of the other disciples? Maybe there was a pesky Roman soldier that really had it in for him and constantly would make Peter do something. But Peter is grappling with this idea of ongoing offenses. How do you deal with this? Jesus answers him. Well, before I give you the answer, look at the number. 
up to seven times. You see that phrase? Now, Peter, when he said that, said it for a reason. This is really interesting. In my study this week, I discovered that in the Old Testament book of Amos, there's this quote. It says this, God condemns nations for three transgressions and for four. And out of this, the rabbis of Jesus' day had come up with a theory. Their theories and their traditions were all put in a book called the Talmud. And in the Talmud, this is what it said about forgiveness. This isn't the Bible. This is the Jewish book of traditions. If a brother sins against you once, forgive him. A second time, forgive him. A third time, forgive him. But a fourth time, what's it say? Do not forgive him. That was the Talmud. Here's Peter saying seven times. What has he done? He's taken the three, he's doubled it, and he's added one for good measure. How do you think that Peter thought Jesus would respond to him? Should I forgive my brother seven times? What do you think he expected? Oh, Peter, you are a spiritual giant. Most people would have thought, three, you've doubled it and added one? You're an amazing guy. Instead, Jesus quickly takes a verbal pin to Peter's overinflated ego, and he says this, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Other translations render it seven times 70 times. No, 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 no. I know what some of you are thinking. All right, baby, I'm counting 76, 75. All right, that's it. No, you're missing the point. Jesus' point is very clear. You will forgive without counting and extend grace without limit. And their jaws would have dropped. You have to be kidding me. Just like some of you are thinking right now. You don't know how much he hurt my kids. You don't know what it's like being married to her. You don't know the degree that we were betrayed. You don't know how scarred we are, and you don't know how much that hurt has been repeated, and you don't know that they have not said they're sorry once. You've got to be kidding me. And Jesus said, I don't kid. So we begin to tell a story, and the story flows right out of this. Verse 23, therefore, in light of this, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents, right in the margins of your Bible, best, best we can estimate now is $10 million. Now, this was not some small lightweight. This was obviously a high official. I have no idea how he lost $10 million. I know maybe he was betting on the chariot races. We don't know what he was doing here. But the fact of the matter is, he had lost it all. It says here, he owed 10,000 talents. Since he was not able to pay, continuing on, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Basically saying, I'm going to get what I can get. I'm going to sell you all into slavery, and I'll try to cut my losses, right? By the way, that was legal. He had every right to do that. He had every right to do that. Continuing on, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. You've got to be kidding me. 
Zach, you owe me $10 million, and I say, pay up, and you say, can you give me a week? No way. No way. That's Jesus' point here. Listen, the debt that is owed is totally unpayable. You must understand that if you hope to get this parable. The debt is totally unpayable. Continuing on. The servant's master, verse 27, took pity on him. I want you to underline the next word because you're going to see it again in just a moment. Canceled. Canceled the debt and let him go. Canceled the debt. Mark it well. He didn't say, well, tell you what, Zach, why don't you get a second job and see what you can do, buddy? Canceled the debt. Canceled the debt and let him go. So I've got to ask you a question. Who took the loss? Who took the loss? The master did. The master chose to take the loss. It was not easy. It was not cheap to let this guilty person go. The person didn't deserve it, and the person certainly certainly could not repay it. Now, at the risk of getting ahead of myself, I want you to hold a finger here and slide about a half an inch to the right to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians, you're going to see that same word that you underlined next. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Now watch carefully. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. Watch now. He forgave us all of our sins having, what's the next word? Canceled, underline it. It is the very same Greek word that is used back in that parable. Having canceled the written code, having canceled our sins. Many of you know where, see where this is going to go. Jesus chose to cancel the debt you owed him. You owed God $10 million, $50 million, $100 million. And God chose to cancel it, but it cost him one thing. What it cost him? His son. It cost him his son. Who paid your debt? The master did. The master did. In fact, the very next chapter in Colossians, the chapter 3, turn one page. This really, Paul really builds upon this in in chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Look what he says. 3, 12, and 13. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive, finish it. What's it say? As the Lord forgave you. Same stuff. Same stuff. You're listening to The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. Dave will continue his message in just a moment. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. If you are, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Then help others find us by sharing this podcast with your friends and family. You can also support us in this ministry. Just go to davedeselmministries.org and click on the Donate button. Dave DeSelm Ministries offers resources for everyday pastors so they can equip 
the everyday people they lead to become everyday disciples. And one of the ways that we do that is through the Everyday Pastor blog. In each post, Dave offers practical insight and personal experience born of over 40 years of pastoral leadership. This blog covers topics everyday pastors and leaders need to strengthen their skills, sharpen their vision, and care for their souls. You can find the Everyday Pastor blog on our website, davedeselmministries.org. Now let's get back to Dave and the rest of today's teaching. Now, back to the parable. Back back in Matthew 18, all right? Can you imagine the moment? This guy's just been forgiven $10 million. I'm sure that he headed out of that office and got on his cell phone right away. He's texting, you know, his wife going, you are not going to believe this. We have been totally cleared. It's erased. We're free. We're free. Hallelujah. Woo-hoo. Is that what he did? No. Look at the next verse. Verse 28 of Matthew 18. But when that servant went out, what servant? The servant who just been forgiven $10 million. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. 20 bucks. 20 bucks. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. By the way, was this doable? Sure it was doable. By the way, that's the same phrase that he used with his master. Be patient with me. First three words of verse 30, I can't get over. But he refused. Please forgive me. No. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison for 20 bucks until he could pay off the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then comes one of the most frightening verses in the whole New Testament, verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. And had this guy been mistreated, yeah, I guess, 20 bucks, right? The question isn't, had he been wronged? The question is, was his response appropriate to how much he had been forgiven? That's the question. And you read this, and I read this, and we think, man, I would never act like that. Really? then right now whose picture is flashing across your mental screen as to somebody who's hurt you? Somebody who has betrayed you. Someone who has scarred your kids and broken your heart and shattered your dreams. Have you forgiven them? And Jesus is saying you must understand something. 
there's a price for a servant's unforgiveness. And there are torturers, ironically, of your own making that you will find yourself facing. If you choose to hold on to your hurt, if you choose not to forego your hate, mark it well. It will cost you tremendously. There's a book titled, None of These Diseases. And the author in the book notes that resentment, this is fascinating, I thought, resentment produces hormones in your body like a 12-hour cold capsule, and it releases poison throughout the day. There was a study, a true study, done by the University of Michigan. They tested, first of all, they had to get a, a group of women And they ascertained in this group of women how many of them were still living in long-term resentment over past hurt. And they had another group that seemed to be reasonably forgiving. They tracked them for 18 years. The result of the study, the women with suppressed resentment died at a rate of three times those who had learned to forgive. Intrigued by the study, Michigan decided to do one with a group of men. Same situation. Some who were living with hate, some who seemed to have processed their hurt. They tracked them for 25 years. The result? Those who harbored hostility died over the 25 years at six times the rate of those who'd learned to forgive. Jesus is smart. When you choose not to forgive, it not only is an affront to the one who forgave you, but you're slowly killing yourself. Lou Smeads writes these words, the first and often the only person to be healed by forgiveness is the person who does the forgiveness. When we forgive, we set a prisoner free and discover the prisoner we set free is us. I was trying to think of how I could show this to you, and I thought, um, when a person hurts you, especially one who's been enmeshed in your life, in a certain extent they hook themselves to you. Maybe you were hooked to a person through a marriage, a friendship, a business relationship, and you're, you're hooked to this person. And what happens now when you break down with the person The relationship is shattered. The person may be gone, but you find yourself going through life dragging the chain of resentment of that person along with you. You're dragging that that person is still hooked to you. And it is very difficult to live a joy-filled, sacrificial kingdom life when you're dragging the chains of hurt. And sometime, someway, somehow, by virtue of how much you've been forgiven, or by a fresh awareness, this is stupid. You have got to come to grips and say, enough! Enough! I don't do it because they ask for forgiveness. I don't do it because they deserve anything. I do it because of how much I've been forgiven. And I do it because I will not be chained to them anymore. And I choose to let it Go. Now there's a part of us that says, but they're getting off the hook. No, they're not. They're getting off your hook 
and they're put on God's hook. And we have a God who's extraordinarily merciful, but he is a judge. And the prayer, of course, would be that they come to a point of repentance and drink in forgiveness and discover what you've discovered. But if they don't, they will face him. And he will deal with them quite severely. It is not your job. You're killing yourself. You're killing your kids. You're killing your kingdom witness. Enough. Jesus teaches us this because he so loves us. Until you understand how much you've been forgiven, 10 million bucks, in my case, 100 million bucks, against God. When I choose to hate and to hurt, it's almost as if I hear him whisper, how dare you? How dare you? I have forgiven, Dave, I have forgiven you for so much. How dare you? You're right. I choose to forgive. It may very well be that some of you need to write a name and perhaps a few offenses along to that name on a piece of paper to determine today, I know this is only a first step. Today, I must deal with this hate, I must deal with this hurt. I must deal with this resentment. Today, in light of how much I've been forgiven, as a symbol of taking off this chains, I write this name. I forgive. I forgive. I choose to forgive. No one's going to see this. Write down a name if you need to. Write down a list of offenses. I choose. They don't deserve it. Neither do you. They didn't even ask. They didn't even say they're sorry. They didn't ask forgiveness. That's not the point. This is something you're doing between you and God. I'm choosing to forgive. Thank you so much for joining us for the Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. If you'd like to let Pastor Dave know how this message has blessed you, send him an email at dave at davedeselmministries.org. Then join us next time as we look to God's Word for help and hope as we follow Jesus every day.